1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, last week you created an uproar among the listeners. Well, among <laughs> one of our listeners, anyway. Uh, our boss, Adam Small, who was floored to learn that you'd never seen The Godfather. Hey, it's only the greatest movie ever made, nearly 50 years old and an essential part of American culture. No rush, John. Uh, But uh, it led to a conversation between me and Adam about the movies we haven't seen that people are most shocked by. For him, it's Titanic. Uh, For me, it used to be Schindler's List, but I did check that one off several years ago. So now it's either Do the Right Thing or Apocalypse Now. It'll be hard for you to top The Godfather, John, uh, but I know you're not a huge movie and TV guy, so is there something even more OMG in your arsenal for a movie I'll be shocked to learn you haven't seen?
0: Well, I'll say two things that I don't think enough people understand. One is that the idea that someone should pretend to have seen a movie or a TV show or read a <laughs> certain book or whatever, like that they they have to pretend is like ridiculous. I, right. uh, you know, Obviously, you're... you're uh, you're you're teasing and Adam's teasing is good natured and it's fine but I think there are people who seriously are afraid to say I didn't I didn't do this or they, they're afraid to admit they didn't do this which is silly and then the other one which is even dumber is criticizing something you haven't seen in other words saying the godfather that's a crappy movie you know I mean <laughs> I've never seen it I, I, and <laughs> I know that everyone who knows anything about cinema says it's a masterpiece so why would I dispute that I don't I don't dispute that I'm sure it is that's not particularly for me, but doesn't mean it's not a great movie. I believe that it is. Um, I'll tell you, I saw Titanic the year I was engaged and I will say that, you know, spoiler alert, there's a scene where, you know, all hell's breaking loose on the ship and Mm -hmm. there's a really old couple, like 50 years married couple just lay in bed and hug each other. They're not going anywhere. You know, nothing else is said or needed to be said. And that's pretty powerful stuff, especially at the time. Now, I haven't seen any of the movies you mentioned either, by the way. Um, (laughs) But perhaps my clan to fame would be never having seen most trilogies or even sequels. So I saw Rocky when it came out. I enjoyed it very much, but I skipped all the sequels, including one they're apparently working on now. It's called the Rocky 10, Rocky Goes to Hell. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to do that one either. Um, so no Star Wars, no Star Trek, no Lord of the Rings, no Harry Potter, uh, no really any of the science fiction stuff. You know, My oldest brother collected the uh, golden era superhero comics of Marvel and DC in the early 1960s. And I loved those as a kid. I mean, it's amazing. And if I hadn't uh, cut them out and ruined them, uh, my oldest brother be rich, but that's another story. Um, But the only movie in that vein that I had seen in a theater was Guardians of the Galaxy, which happened to be the one set of characters I didn't know from the comics, ironically enough. I've also never seen a horror movie. I, I know the damsel in distress who's about to be on the business end of a carving knife is really just an actress playing a role but I just can't derive any enjoyment out of the suffering of others, not even make believe versions of that, but you know, such as a life of an empath, but uh, taking this back to gambling, it's better than even money that I never see any of those nerd book science fiction movies. It's <laughs> all no appeal for me whatsoever.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Wow. A lot of stuff I have to uh, drill sure. down on there. First off, sure. uh, I fully commend you for your honesty. Better to just say you haven't seen it than to try to lie your way through pretending right. you've seen something. <laughs> exactly. I don't know the point of that. Now the right. here's the, here's the, key uh question and it's going to be a bit of a loaded question and i'll explain uh, why uh is is what did you think of guardians of the galaxy and I'll, I'll tell you why it's a loaded question before you answer so that you can uh you know answer answer with this in mind it was edited by my brother fred raskin so that, that, oh, yeah. that so so this is a fred raskin movie so uh so what were your thoughts and i guess be gentle if you didn't like it
0: no, I actually thought I wouldn't be able to understand what was going on, not only because I wasn't familiar with the characters, but also I, I think those superhero movies have a certain, you know, cadence to them in general. And mm. so most of the people that saw that movie have seen 20 other movies of that of that vein. Right. So so they know how it goes. And I I didn't have that, you know, backstory, but um, but it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. The, you know, it, it was uh, kind of adventurous. I saw it with a young nephew of mine and the mm. Uh, you know who enjoyed it and uh yeah i thought it was good i i i think there's a sequel which i of course haven't seen and i won't see but (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if he did that one too but
1: he did did. the 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 first one is better than the second i think but the second one is funnier if you're just looking for laughs the second Mm -hmm. one is is pretty good but uh but uh, okay no that's that's a reasonable review and i actually have missed most of the superhero movies myself i've just Uh seen a handful i'm not into a lot of that stuff it's funny that you brought up uh the rocky movies because i was listening to a podcast last weekend where a guy claimed he was the world's biggest Sylvester Stallone fan but he'd never seen any of the Rocky movies he's saving them uh that 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 was at least as shocking as your godfather confession you know not not that someone hasn't seen any Rocky movies but that someone could self-identify as the world's biggest Stallone fan but not have have seen any Rocky movies that one just uh knocked me to the floor kind of
0: yeah, I remember it's going back to like the maybe the 90s. Uh, there was one Bob Dylan album of his first like 15 that I that I hadn't bought and I hadn't listened to um, as I figured, like, in case he's got nothing left, I, I I still have something to save. So I get if he said, you know, I haven't seen Rocky 4 I'm just this one I want to I want to have something or, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen them all. So this way I can always at some point when I really need it, I can see a new Rocky movie new to me. But not having seen any of them, Yeah, I don't get that either.
1: All right. Well, uh, so the so the last th- I know we we should probably get on to real business at some point in this podcast, but I'm just curious, what have you been doing all pandemic, if not catching up on movies and TV? You missed like reading books or something wacky like that.
0: Uh, well, I tape. Well, you don't like the word tape, but I tape um, <laughs> old shows from when I was a kid. I went through a Charlie's Angels phase and then. Um, OK, uh, Man, uh, Mannix, Cannon, uh, Barnaby Jones, you know, all those those shows, Uh, it's interesting because they're mostly early to mid 70s. And, and just seeing the the cars in the background, and even the occasional sort of inappropriate comments about whatever, nothing, you know, terrible, but just uh, things you wouldn't say anymore. Um, And uh, I I found that's very soothing. So, yeah, we all have our, our, uh, our need to sort of escape from the cold, cruel realities. And that's kind of the way I did it.
1: All right, yeah, little little off the beaten path of pop culture, perhaps, but uh, you are you are ve- uh, vegging out and watching something, and uh, and Absolutely. that's that's what's important. So, <laughs> all right. thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number one hundred and thirty three of Gamble on. If you missed any of our previous hundred thirty two episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. The only thing worse than not having seen The Godfather is not having listened to every second of every episode of Gamble On.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by New York State Senator Joseph Adabo, uh, one of the legislators who's central to the push for regulated mobile sports betting and casino gaming in the Empire State. We're going to talk to Senator Adabo about the legislative outlook and the battle to keep sports betting dollars from going across the bridge to my New Jersey Uh, without putting him on the spot about anything too sensitive probably regarding the embattled current governor of new york but first it's been an oddly nostalgic week in the world of gambling so let's get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling
1: We are recording and posting this podcast on March 11th, 2021, and you are surely reading, hearing, and watching a lot today about March 11th, 2020, as this is the one-year anniversary of the day the coronavirus upended life in America. We all have our memories of hearing about Rudy Gobert and Tom Hanks, uh, but what we're going to focus on with this news item is the impact on March 11th, 2020, and the days and weeks that followed on the gambling industry we cover. It's crazy to look back and see how the sports betting world coped when there were no major sports, as everything from Belarusian soccer to table tennis had its moment in the sun, uh, and table tennis held on to a small sliver of that moment, remaining the fourth most bet sport in Colorado as of the most recent monthly report. Uh, We had almost no live sports on TV, which meant weeks of reruns of classic games and eventually not-so-classic games, leading to the Last Dance documentary that felt like event television under the circumstances. We also had much consternation over what would happen with various futures bets on interrupted seasons. Then there was the devastating impact on brick and mortar casinos and the massive uptick in online poker and online casino play in those few states that allow those activities. Some of it's a blur. I've already forgotten a lot of the weirdness of those first couple of months of quarantine. John, what memories stand out to you? What do you find hardest to believe looking back? And all in all, has COVID-19 been more or less devastating to the gambling industry than you initially thought it would be?
0: Well, yeah, as it happened, I attended the Seton Hall Law School. I think it was called Gaming Compliance and Integrity Boot Camp, some sort of boot camp in, in Newark, New Jersey. That took place last March 9th to 11th as, as it happened. But after going to the first day, on the morning of the 10th, the news broke about a massive horse racing doping scandal, mainly focused on New York and New Jersey and particularly on Monmouth Park. So uh, naturally, I needed to stay home that day and write several versions of that story. Mm-hmm. The same day, tragically, the first New Jersey victim of COVID-19 passed away, and it was a horse racing trainer who I hadn't met, but I was familiar with uh, his history. So I got a call in the morning of the 11th from my stockbroker, of all people, asking if I'd seen the news that had just broken. I had not. And he said, well, the name of the first victim was announced as John Brennan. Uh, I was jarring enough. I, I got some relief looks in Newark when I showed up for day three, March 11th. <laughs> right. People pretty much knew I had written about horse racing industry in New Jersey for many years, but I wasn't a trainer, right? But they, I guess, they hadn't been 100% sure of that, so I, I sensed some relief. Uh, now, those at the law school event that week were debating: should we shake hands or fist bump or what? You know, we didn't know. And hours later, on the 11th, as you know, the NBA, NBA suspended its season. <laughs> So, the whole thing was so strange. It's not a day I'm ever going to forget. Right. Uh, as for the U.S. gambling industry, I was surprised how resilient it proved to be overall. I mean, the closures of casinos and lack of traditional sports was rough, but I guess perseverance proved to be the trait that stood out to me. And uh, now we're going to have 10,000 people per day at the Players' Championship in Florida this weekend and a 40,000 seat sellout for the Texas Rangers baseball season opener in a few weeks. Um, we haven't made it to the other side yet, but I, I guess we can see it from here.
1: Yeah, I I would say so. Uh, It's the light at the end of the tunnel that everyone keeps talking about. It uh, seems to be getting nearer. And uh, yeah, I mean, as gambling journalists employed by the particular company we're employed by, you and I are somewhere in probably the top 1% of not having our jobs negatively impacted by the pandemic. Uh, We were already working from home. Everything we do can be done remotely. The only real adjustment was shifting some of the things we cover and getting creative with some content ideas. Uh, I mean, we even did a little bit of writing about specific online casino games briefly in there to sort of keep the content moving along. That probably doesn't happen if uh, if sports are happening as usual, um, Jeff Edelstein wrote an excellent piece a few days ago for U.S. Bets about how Korean baseball really emerged as a mental health savior for mm. sports fans, sports bettors, DFS players, et cetera. Last spring, I'd pretty much forgotten all about that. Um, I'd, I'd also nearly forgotten the DraftKings got so desperate they were running DFS competitions for episodes of survivor. Uh, it just uh, <laughs> one of the, one of those weird, uh, weird things that uh, could only come along at a time like this, but all in all, the sports world has come through it pretty well. The major sports all did crown champions. Uh, I don't see people attaching massive asterisks to any of those titles and sports betting. I mean, look at the monthly numbers, basically covid was a small blip for a few months and since august since the nba bubble began really interest has been astronomical so again we're lucky to be in the business we're in if we can look back and just sort of chuckle about a few months of weirdness uh, that's that's a pretty good sign for us that said i'll never get back the hour or so that i spent watching nba horse uh, that, that was some serious <laughs> suffering
0: uh, I actually remember that the original series from the 70s was on,
1: and I used to enjoy that. But yeah, I
0: understand that the uh, it the the reboot, I suppose, uh, didn't work. But uh, yeah, I think that um, there's always been a debate about whether casinos and the gambling industry in general are they recession-proof. And uh, this wasn't exactly a recession, although it was many things, including that. But I think that the sort of need for people to have an escape in some form, um, including uh, you know, manix reruns, uh, is always. <laughs> there. And uh, the more stressful the situation, and it was incredibly stressful uh, for so many people, um, you know, gambling is going to enter into that. It's uh, it's a bad thing if people are spending money they don't have. And it's probably a good coping mechanism if you're spending discretionary dollars to, to get through what's turned out to be a full year. Um, and I think you know, for the most part, that's what people have done. So, uh, uh, you know, and and we've done whatever tiny part we've done to explain to people what their options are, what's going to happen next and all that. And, and uh, that's a little bit of a diversion for people as well. So we're I guess we're contributing in that small way.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we go from a global situation in our first story to focusing on one particular state for our second story. We're zooming in on Illinois, where we have two newsworthy items this week. First, on Wednesday, the state reported its January sports betting numbers. And because Illinois is always the last state to report, that means we now have the national total numbers for January as well. A sports betting handle for January in Illinois was a state record $581.5 million, which is remarkably close to overtaking Pennsylvania for third place in the country. Uh, Pennsylvania, which launched sports betting more than a year before Illinois, produced $615.3 million in handle in January. Uh, Illinois' huge numbers pushed the national handle for January to 436 billion. Uh, Illinois sportsbooks had an 8.24 percent hold in January for revenue of almost $48 million and tax revenue of $7.2 million. DraftKings is number one in the state in terms of handle. FanDuel is number one in terms of revenue. Uh, and they'll be getting a new competitor very soon. Our second Illinois news item is that Barstool's mobile sports book is launching in the state today, Thursday, becoming Illinois' sixth online book. And the state joins Pennsylvania and Michigan as states that have launched the mobile version of Barstool Sportsbook. We've talked regarding those other states about whether Barstool can challenge for the top spot. Uh, Any guess, John, how they'll do against the five other current sportsbooks in Illinois? And what are your thoughts on the January numbers? Is Illinois looking like a serious threat to catch New Jersey sometime this year? You know, I've spent
0: a total of like a couple of years of my life in the Midwest without ever actually officially living there for Mm. a number of reasons. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I don't think the cultural vibe in Illinois and really most of the Midwest is is liable to be as sensitive to the, well, sometimes insensitive comments by Barstool's team of wisecrackers. So there's less chance of major controversy there than on, say, the East or West Coast. So Mm. that gives them a chance. But DraftKings and FanDuel are just so big and they're so good at what they do. I, I just don't see... Anyway, that anybody can take them on anytime soon. And as for catching New Jersey this year for Illinois, I'd say no. I mean, not as long as we Jersey folks raking all that New York money that Senator Adabo will be talking about next.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I. I'm a little higher on Illinois' chances of of beating New Jersey this year than you are. Maybe not, like, fully passing it, but, like, I, here are the state-by-state numbers for January. I think it's a, a good barometer month because there's playoff football, there's NBA, there's NHL. So, New Jersey, number one, 958.7 million dollars big drop off from one to two, but uh, Nevada is next with 646.5 million. Then Pennsylvania number three, as I said, at 615.3 and Illinois close behind at 581.5. Then another massive drop off, Indiana and Colorado in the 300s, Tennessee seventh, Michigan eighth. And and that will uh, leap up very soon. This was just the first partial month. Michigan could be number five by February. uh, And then we'll see where Virginia slots in as well. But it's really noteworthy how quickly Illinois has basically caught Pennsylvania. They're almost exactly the same size states. So you'd have to look right now and say, if anyone is going to catch New Jersey this year, it's Illinois. You're right that uh, as long as New York hasn't legalized mobile, uh, New Jersey retains a, a key advantage there. Uh, and, and when New York, whenever it happens that New York does legalize mobile, uh, Illinois might pass New Jersey but not become number one because New York would then (laughs) instantly become number one. Uh, Anyway, I don't, I wouldn't say that I would predict that Illinois will have fully surpassed New Jersey with consistency by the end of the year. I would predict there will be at least one month in 2021 where Illinois is ahead of New Jersey and, uh, and that the two states will be running pretty close throughout football season. The fact that the, you know, they're already a About almost two thirds of the way there uh, to this early in the game, I think is a a heck of a sign for Illinois. I guess one factor to watch is whether Governor Pritzker at any point fails to extend the pause on the in-person registration requirement. You know, if New Year's users are forced some month to register in person, that would slow Illinois growth. But it seems likely that the in-person requirement is dead in Illinois and isn't coming back. They just haven't made it official yet.
0: Yeah, well, I did a story this week that's going to be going up on uh, Mm CoBets.com, one of our state websites for Colorado, and the reason is that uh, Colorado actually is third in uh, sort of betting per capita behind uh, New Jersey and Nevada, and of course Nevada is number one in that respect because they have very few people, and the vast bulk of their uh, their betting is done by tourists from out of state, and then New Jersey again gets the bump from New York State. So you know, Colorado, outside of those two outliers, is actually leading all the other states, including Illinois, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Iowa, and everything else uh, in terms of uh, what probably is closer to being able to say, this is how much uh, the typical resident bets per uh, per month, and particularly right. in January. So a little bit of props to Colorado there.
1: All right. and Well, Colorado ties into our uh, third and final story this week. Uh, this uh, this story uh, feels like a blast from the past in that we used to cover sports leagues partnering with sports books, but mostly stopped once it became commonplace. But uh, this new partnership we're going to cover this week is a little different. Uh, last Thursday, DraftKings and UFC announced a deal making DraftKings the exclusive sports book and DFS partner of UFC worth $350 million over five years, this deal. We'll see how exclusive this agreement remains, as other leagues and teams have shown there's room sometimes for more than one sportsbook partner. Uh, One unusual aspect of the deal is DraftKings sponsoring something called the Fight Clock, which our colleague Brian Pempis, the staff MMA expert, says is pointless and is just a gimmick to put the DK logo on something near the cage. Uh, Brian also wrote for that same site you mentioned, Cobets.com this week about how the deal might seem excessive for DraftKings, given that MMA accounts for only about 1% of Colorado's sports betting handle. Uh, John, is there anything you find interesting about this partnership? And does it seem like an overspend for DraftKings, or do they just have so much marketing money right now that, $350 million is no big deal.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. $70 million a year is pretty much walking around money for a company like DraftKings. And <laughs> yeah. uh, What's amazing with with them and FanDuel is that with the amount of money they spend, look at the return on investment. I mean, the old, you got to spend money to make money. These guys these guys spend it, these guys make it. Um, I also think you're spot on in terms of what does exclusive really mean? We, we've seen uh, a lot of variations on that uh, over the last couple of years. Um, I'm a little skeptical of the deal being profitable. And yet, over the long haul, I, I think MMA is here to stay and may continue to grow in popularity. So you're getting younger consumers who may be loyal to you for like oh, 50 years. So mm. it's kind of hard to knock that.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. So regarding the exclusivity thing, Brian pointed out in one of his articles that UFC previously had a deal with Poker Stars, which is under the Flutter umbrella, along with FanDuel. It's unclear exactly where that deal stands, but uh, we've certainly learned that nothing is ever truly exclusive in this space. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a UFC FanDuel deal in addition to the UFC DraftKings deal. FanDuel just won't get to sponsor the fight clock. We know that much. Uh, but anyway, th- this is the DraftKings way, you know, spend big on marketing build up the company's valuation while hoping to someday turn an actual profit. Uh, and you know, sports betting is legal in enough States now that $350 million over the course of five years doesn't feel like much to spend at all. Uh, I I think they'll get exactly what they want out of the deal. And the reason you, you mentioned is is a good one that UFC has a lot of younger fans and they could be, uh, building some brand loyalty that lasts for decades and i
0: just realized we gave them a lot of free
1: publicity and, uh, for
0: nothing at all and what are we thinking they they're spending money like crazy and yet we're doing this for free
1: <laughs> well yeah i suppose uh we're, we're this they didn't pay directly for the all this uh free pub that, <laughs> that we're giving them but uh you know we do work for an affiliate site that works with them and all that so uh there's there's a little something in it for us too i guess okay i guess so
0: <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
1: We rarely go more than a few weeks on this podcast without discussing the hopes for mobile sports betting or mobile casino gaming in New York State. But rather than limiting you to listening to me and John speculating on those topics from our perches outside the fray, this week, we're bringing you a guest who can update us all direct from the floor of the New York State Senate. He is the chairman of New York Senate Committee on Racing, Gaming, and Wagering, one of the driving forces behind trying to advance mobile gaming in the state, Senator Joseph Adabo. Senator, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Yes, good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to speak today.
1: So I think a lot of us could use a quick primer on how the New York State budget works. Uh, Is March the most important month of the year in that respect? What's the upcoming timetable as it pertains to passing sports betting and other
2: online gaming legislation? You know, yeah, it is important. Uh, Certainly $180 billion budget that provides the services for the 19 million people in our state, it's quite important. And that's why we need to remain focused on doing the budget, which has an April 1st deadline. So right now, we will start to negotiate in earnest all those pieces of the puzzle that put together make up the $180 billion uh, budget, part of which I'm hoping it's mobile sports spending and the downstate licenses. Uh, The next time, I guess, the frame that we should be mindful of is March 15th. That's when the Senate and the Assembly come out with their version of the state budget, And between the Senate version and the Assembly version and the governor's version, which was released in January, hopefully a final budget by April 1st will be determined.
1: Okay, and so with that that April 1st uh, deadline in mind, you know, if the budget locks in on that date uh, and there is no mobile sports betting in it, is that it until 2022 or or is there any way for progress to be made in the, the remaining nine months of this year?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm an optimist and I hate no for an answer. So, you know, if it's on the budget, and it should be in the budget. I mean, when we talk about mobile sports betting for our state, as well as the downstate licenses, we're looking at a revenue for this fiscal year over a billion dollars up front, guaranteed. And again, in a budget that has a $20 billion deficit due to COVID pandemic, uh, we can certainly use the revenue and the educational funds that come along with it. Uh, But if not in the budget, uh, we can do uh, mobile sports betting as a standalone bill. Uh, we did that in 2019, and the Senate passed it on the floor, 57 to 5, passed it on the floor of the Senate in 2019, but it never passed the Assembly, even though there, there's enough support for the Assembly version of the bill in in the in that House. Uh, so you can do it as a standalone, and then, of course, the governor would have to sign it. Um, but because of its fiscal nature, before because of its revenue-generating potential and of course the educational funds attached to it, it should be in the budget. Gotcha.
0: I right, guess, Senator, uh, there are thousands of podcasts that are uh, pontificating about Governor Cuomo these days, but uh, this is a gambling related podcast. So I really wanna focus on uh, mobile sports betting in New York state. Okay. And um, I understand the governor <laughs> has an enormous influence on this issue and other issues. And I'm just curious though, as far as uh, sort of in Albany, how much opposition is there uh, beyond Governor Cuomo in the state, uh, in terms of the Senate, the Assembly in general. I mean, uh, he's had some, uh, you know, concerns about it and and whether it should go forward. And he's, you know, uh, loosened a little bit in recent months. But uh, how important is, is he in the general picture? And is there any other uh, opposition at the state level to uh, mobile sports
2: betting in New York? You know, uh, we have Governor Cuomo and we're working with him at this point. It's not Governor Murphy like in New Jersey. Governor Murphy, New Jersey really embraces gaming in terms of not only sports betting, mobile, and they're doing great but also online gaming, online poker, and so forth. Uh, so we have to deal with the administration that we are, are currently have, and so we are working with Governor Cuomo. And there is apprehension about expanding gaming in our state, not only by the governor, but by members in both the Assembly and the Senate. And we want to do is address each issue along. So if it's about addiction, you know, we have certain measures in the legislative bill that is mobile sports betting to have safety protocols and measures taking care of addiction is actually new funding a new funding mechanism for addiction services. Uh, there are safeguards in terms of capping of accounts. So we address the addiction issue, uh, and I think we do it very well. Uh, but then there are those that philosophically say, I can't go with expansion of gaming in New York. But the issue is, A, if you want to help someone with an addiction, I think it's the way to go, because right now you can't help them because they're, in new, uh, Jer- they're going to New Jersey, or they're doing it illegally, and you don't know who they are if you, if you regulate it in New York. You can far help a person who has an addiction problem. Uh, we do gaming already in New York. We have casinos, racinos, scratch-off, daily numbers. We already have gaming in New York. We just don't do it very well. So th- this whole idea about, oh, I don't want to expand gaming in New York, well, you already have it. Um, and this is an industry that employs well over 5,000 people in New York State. It's an industry that has provided over $3 billion, at least in 2019, pre-COVID, billion over to education alone, because a portion of our proceeds go to education. So, you know, if you do everything right, you can address the addiction issue, you can address the job issue, you can address the education fund issue and the revenue issue. So many who didn't have a a liking to gaming in New York now see it almost as a necessity, given the fiscal situation that the state is in.
0: I, I think that uh, people who are not too familiar with the situation, I understand the idea that, gee, I don't want people to bet at home, you know, who knows, it's, it's late at night or a weekend and they maybe have had a few drinks or they've they're going through a tough time with COVID and everything else and they might be risking the mortgage. I mean, I totally understand any reluctance to want to. Uh, let that happen, and yet, obviously, you know, you know, and and people involved know that it already does happen with offshore illegal sports books and everything else. So <laughs> it's not a question of whether we can prevent people from doing this. They're if they're going if they want to do it, they're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. Um, but when you speak to other legislators, I mean, h- how far have you gotten in the last year or two, in terms of getting over that hurdle of respecting the fact that they wish this wouldn't be an option for some people because it's going to lead to problems, as you say, and yet also them recognizing that it's already there anyway. So as you mentioned, you can regulate it and, uh, and have programs for compulsive gamblers and problem gamblers. Uh, have you have you kind of jumped that uh, fence with a lot of people or are they still not quite getting it?
2: No, the, some have gotten it, and some who are reluctant to vote for mobile sports betting or expediting the downstate licenses have come and said, okay, we need to do this. We're losing money to Jersey. That's our money. That's our educational funds. That's our revenue. We're losing it to Jersey or illegally. So they want to do it. Again, there are those that philosophically have an issue with gaming, but what we'll do is we'll address their issues individually. And, and again, I think many of the measures or many of the concerns that they had are built into the language. You know, of the mobile sports betting bill, for instance, you know, addressing the issue of minors possibly doing uh, the mobile sports betting self-exclusion. If a person does see themselves gaming too much, they can self-exclude themselves or we can do it by putting a cap on their account. Additional uh, reporting, extra money for educate uh, for educating about the pitfalls of gaming and the addiction, both addiction, post addiction and pre addiction. All this put together, why? Because we spoke to the advocates who are against gaming. We spoke to those who have, you know, advocate about problematic gaming and March is National Problem Gaming Awareness Month. And so we spoke to them and we included their concerns and addressed them in the bill. So again, I think this, it's going to happen. To your point, John, it's already happening. It's happening nationally. It's all over the place. It's around us. Let's do it. We'd already do a segment of it in New York. Let's do it right you know, by doing mobile sports planning.
1: So I'm curious about your personal connection to this topic of gambling, Senator, you know, Resorts World, Aqueduct, and the iconic racetrack located there right in your neighborhood in Queens. And you are the leading voice for the expansion of, of legal regulated gambling options in the New York State Senate. So can I assume that you have a, a lifelong love for gambling yourself? Uh, and e- either way, how did you wind up in, in this particular role on this committee in the Senate?
2: Um I have told many, I probably will not even make a mobile sports bet. I love sports. I, I fashion myself as an athlete. I used to play ball and, you know, I, I love sports. Um, but this is not about me. I did grow up in the shadows of Aqueduct. Aqueduct is in Ozone Park, my hometown. And I remember in grammar school selling the chocolate bars in front of Aqueduct because that's where people are. And uh, those those betters like chocolate. And so we, uh, you know, selling chocolate in front of Aqueduct. So Aqueduct has been a part of my life practically my whole life. Uh, that's why it was important for us to save Aqueduct and getting the Racino there to help. Um, but, you know, the idea here is it's it's not about me. It is about, you know, in Results World, in my district, that's over a thousand jobs for my constituents. And so for me, it is about being parochial and thinking about my, my people, my district first, and then statewide. How many more jobs we can create? How much more educational funding can we generate? And so it is, it is about that for me. I don't like to see Jersey take our money or Pennsylvania or the illegal bookies or the offshore online account. I want to have New Yorkers have a safe way, a regulated way of doing mobile sports spending and gaming in our state so we can protect them and give them a better product.
1: Okay. So you're not my guy to turn to to ask who, how I should fill out my marked madness pool or anything like that. This is not All your right. area of expertise.
2: I, I can't give you tomorrow's lucky numbers. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sorry. I can't. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah,
0: Senator, um, you know, while the uh, mobile sports betting uh, aspect of whether New York is going to approve it, it's got a lot of national attention, mainly because it would be the biggest state to approve it and it might uh, open the door for other large states to do it. So that gets a lot of national attention, but uh, also very big in within New York State is the possibility of up to 3 New York City area casino licenses coming up uh, for approval as soon as december of 2022 and i'm curious uh, where we stand on that uh do aqueduct uh, and also yonkers raceway which already are have thousands of slot machines in in each spot although not they're not full-fledged casinos do they automatically have the inside tracked on a uh on a license and uh you know where where does this stand and do you expect uh some of these licenses or all of them
2: to be approved in 2023 I think the opportunity does exist for these, the expedited license, you know, the graduated license, or again, the expedited uh, implementation of these licenses, which if they sit on a shelf, they get active in the year 2023, but sitting on a shelf is over a billion dollars in revenue and then it costs again the educational funds and the jobs. So I think it is a great opportunity to talk about these licenses now being activated in this uh, current budget, whether we talk about two or three, Um, And the idea here is how to figure out a clear, precise, transparent, credible process to implement these two or three licenses. So I think that's where we're at at this point, discussing it with my colleagues in the Senate, assembly, with the governor's office, but uh, it is a a discussion that's happening in earnest. Uh, This is definitely something that is, I believe, on the table uh, for this budget period. Now, where do these licenses go? That remains to be seen with the process um, if we look at MGM uh, in Yonkers and we look at uh, Results World, NYC, and Ozone Park, Queens, uh, the idea here is these two Racinos are very popular and, ver- and they produce a very a good amount of revenue uh, and ed- educational funding. Uh, Results World alone, it, since its opening, has given $3 billion to education. That's just Results World uh, since its opening. MGM is not too far behind, they're like a $2.6 to education. So. These are you know, educational fund generators. These are revenue generators. And like I said, locally, their jobs, good, credible union jobs. So the idea here is, you know, if you want to go speed to market, if you really want to maximize potential for revenue, jobs, and educational funding in New York State, yes, to get either one of these already operating casinos up and running with a full license, that would be a consideration. But it needs to be a credible, transparent process that gets them there.
0: All right. Well, uh, we had your counterpart, State Senator Paul Sarlo of the Meadowlands District in New Jersey, uh, on recently on the podcast. And he talked about he does pay attention to New York State developments and whether there might be a casino in New York City. Obviously, Manhattan would be uh, closest to New Jersey. And I'm just curious if you also kind of keep an eye on uh, the Meadowlands in North Jersey. Obviously, they uh, uh, tried to steal the Yankees away decades ago. Uh, they got the Jets. They got the Giants. Um you know, they got the Nets for a while until New York took them back and they got the Devils out of Colorado. So, you know, New Jersey has a track record for kind of jumping ahead of New York. And I'm wondering, do you keep a close eye on the political developments in New Jersey as Senator Sarlo does in your state?
2: Yeah, of course, you know, like the Doeys do that. We always look at other states and compare their legislation and I, I keep a watch on Jersey's numbers all the time. Actually, you know, our bill has certain segments of the Jersey bill, uh, mobile sports betting in, in our, included in our in our bill. Uh, but you cannot help. We will look at Pennsylvania and Jersey, and we look at Jersey because we're so like attached at the hip, you know. So we looked at you know Jersey. Say for instance, January numbers. I don't think February numbers are out yet, but we look at January's numbers. You know, January, uh, Jersey does eighty-two million dollars in gross revenue from uh, sports betting. Eighty-two million dollars. Now, if I wanted to place a bet right now, gentlemen, if I wanted to place a sports bet right now, I got to drive two hours north because I'm in Queens. I got to drive two hours north to Resorts World Catskills, and I in person there in New York, two hours north. Or I can get my car and go maybe half hour from Queens to Jersey, half hour, and place a bet there. So when we look at Jersey, we see they did eighty-two million. We do we do know that Jersey does about ninety-two percent mobile. So of that eighty-two million, roughly uh, seventy-five million is mobile, right? And of that seventy-five, we know twenty-five percent is at New Yorkers. (laughs) So of that money, eighteen million dollars from New York shifted to New Jersey. Mobile sports betting, $18 million leaving our state. That's a that's a problem for me. So we do look at Jersey. We always do. And, you know, and uh, and frankly, I understand there's a connection. Because when results World in, in Queens opened up uh, and we got, you know, obviously those buses stopped going to New Jersey. All those buses who used to go to Jersey, now they have Queens and they go to results World. And what happened right after results World in Queens opened? The casinos in Jersey got, took a hit. Some of them actually closed. That's not a coincidence. So there is a correlation. Um, and I do I do think when we do mobile sports betting, if we have the right product, if we have a premier product, which remember, gentlemen, when we do mobile sports betting in New York, we have to tell New Yorkers, hey, stop what you're doing currently. Whatever you do, however you're doing it, stop what you're doing. Come to New York, do it our way. And then we have to retain those New Yorkers that we better have a premier product you know, for mobile sports betting. And so the numbers will shift. Though the numbers will come back to New York, and hopefully, like I said, New Yorkers will have a regulated, safe way of doing mobile sports spending in New York, in their own state. Well,
0: Senator, as a New Jersey uh, taxpayer, I do appreciate your citizens' uh, uh, <laughs> Oops,
2: generosity
0: and helping helping us with our budget.
2: <laughs> yeah. My uh, pleasure. You know, always the season of giving here in New York.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just over the other New Jersey border uh, in Pennsylvania. And I was uh, along Licking with that. my uh, other people from my state. We were giving money to John State for a little while there. Yes. And now and now we're retaining it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: I got, two, I got two of my uh, people that we constantly watch Pennsylvania and yep. New Jersey great thank yep.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> well it's been great talking to you Senator we'll, we'll cross our fingers and hope to hear good news about New York sports betting uh, very soon and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast if indeed we uh, get some good news in the near future
2: anytime Eric and John thank you so much all you listeners thank you so much stay safe
1: two
0: men, two men.
2: $10,000
0: will they run it up
2: or blow it
0: all It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: Five in a row, baby. We booked a fifth straight winning week for the bankroll as the Uh march toward getting back to even and not embarrassing the company continues. Uh, John, you had an almost dead even week. Uh, You won $125 betting on Matthew Fitzpatrick to finish in the top 20. Gave back $20 on Fitzpatrick to win outright and lost 110 dabbling in college basketball with a bet on Michigan State plus 11 and a half points. So that's minus five bucks in total. Uh, but I got us into the black on the week with my women's boxing bet on Clarissa Shields to win by decision, a small wager there that won us $50. So that means we won 45 bucks for the week. Not a massive amount, but enough to extend the winning streak. We're now down $611, plus we have $1,380 on and Futures bets. So that leaves us with $8,009 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And tonight we have the first big post-All-Star break NBA slate. I thought about betting the New Orleans Pelicans over, as that has hit more than 71% of the time so far this season. But the number for this game is really high, 238 and a half points. That's that's a lot of points. I'm going to stay away. Uh, instead, I will go with the team I watch most closely, the 76ers. You probably could have predicted I'd go in this direction. Um, unusual circumstance tonight against the Bulls. No Embiid and no Simmons due to COVID contact tracing. And you might think that means, in terms of player props bet on their third best player tobias harris to carry the scoring load i did consider that but his over under on points is 24 and a half just a little too high to feel confident about the number i prefer is the number of points for Shake Milton, the point guard who usually comes off the bench and who comes the closest to playing the Simmons role when Simmons is out. His line is 16 and a half points. He's going to get over 30 minutes tonight for sure, maybe 35 minutes. He's going to be driving to the hoop a lot. The over is even money at FanDuel. So let's bet $100 to win 100 on shake Milton over 16 and a half points. It's basically a standard DFS play. You know, the bench player getting an increased role underpriced becomes an automatic play in cash games. I think shake is that guy tonight. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I've got to go with the PGA Tour Players Championship this
0: week. uh, $2.7 million purse. That's double what a lot of tournaments uh, offer and an incredible field. And I'll stick to focusing on the Thursday afternoon draw. Uh, So I'm going to go with Adam Scott plus 330 on DraftKings. He's only plus 260 on FanDuel, by the way, uh, to finish in the top 20. So 100 to win 330 for Adam
1: Scott, the top 20. All right, I like that. It's a nice, uh, sounds like a good return there. Um, I'm going to make a, a few small boxing bets this week. Uh, me betting on fights to end in a draw is like you betting on outright winners in golf. Uh, One of these days we're going to hit, but until we do, we're kind of throwing money away 10 or 20 bucks at a time. Um, Two potential draws on the docket this Saturday. Fantastic fight between a definitely future hall of famer and the possible future hall of famer Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada two. Uh, This is a rematch eight years ago. They fought each other and Chocolatito won a close decision. Both of these outstanding little fighters often go the distance. And when facing elite opponents, it always ends up being close. So 18 to 1 on the draw there is a decent price. Let's bet $10 on that. Also, Saturday on a different fight card, Terrell Gachet versus Jamonte Clark looks like a toss up type fight. Same price on the draw, 18 to 1. So let's do $10 there as well. And then the one non draw bet back to women's boxing uh, rematch uh. to. <laughs> I'm not predicting anyone to get knocked out at least that's Uh,
0: involuntary right I understand
1: (laughs) Um, this is the rematch to an upset from last year Jessica McCaskill handed Cecilia Bracus the first defeat of her career via close disputed decision Bracus should be extremely motivated for the rematch and if it's close the natural tendency for judges is to give it to the fighter who got the short end of the stick the first time I think there's a tiny bit of value in Bracus as a minus 150 favorite so let's bet $75 to win $50 on her. And now that those bets are in, there will probably be one draw this weekend, and it'll be the breakers fight in which I didn't bet the draw.
0: <laughs> well, we got five winning weeks in a row. I think the karma's changed, so we might uh, we might be fine there. Uh, I'm going to go a big 200 units, uh, rare for me. Uh, I got the Cubs at minus 112, plus 12 and a half wins against the Crosstown White Sox total. So we went if the Sox disappoint a little again, uh, or if the Cubs are okay. and Plus, we know we'll be in this one all summer.
1: All right, and so the so you betting like are you betting like two twenty four to win two hundred something like that? Okay, exactly. All right, I like it, John Brennan, going big. Uh, Exciting times. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Senator Joseph Adabo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to U.S. for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Well, you know, Eric, a uh, uh, sort of a modest pet peeve of mine over the years has turned into a major piece of um, – I'm going to call it annoyance this year. Uh, that is the insistence of most conferences in college basketball to allow a minimum of its top eight teams, and more often every single freaking team, into their postseason tournament. I mean, you haven't won a conference game all season? No worries. Just pull a four upsets, and you punch a ticket to the dance. And for the vast majority of conferences, you send home a team that had a very solid several months of basketball. Now, in a normal year, I almost, I mean, I don't, but I almost sort of get it, you know. See, I know a convention of your particular business, after all. Everyone shows up, lots of dinners and drinks to be had. Deals get made, you know. Even for the athletes, they get to compete one last time and maybe spend a little quality time with players from other schools they've gotten to know or admire. And let's be honest, tickets get sold, the schools make extra money, expense accounts, and midsections all get padded and, and so on. But it, it's 2021. It's a pandemic. I mean, administrators should not be gathering in one place to swap appetizers, pitchers of beer and God knows what else. And athletes should not be spending time away from, you know, college classes, just get their asses kicked in probably the first, if not the second round of the tournament. I mean, Iowa state played last night. They were 0 and 18 in the big 12. I mean, they played all 18 conference games because there's only 10 teams in the big 12 and they didn't win a game. What what are they doing? Air Mm -hmm. force was like two and 15 or something. I mean, some of these teams are flying to their sites. They're not even just like taking a bus 20 miles and, You know how many conferences and there's more than 30 of them made the decision to downsize their postseason tournament this year, making an adjustment for, oh, you know, COVID pandemic One, the Northeast Conference, uh, which includes my alma mater, Fairleigh Dickinson. They only invited their top four schools into the tournament. Everyone else. What the hell were they thinking? I mean, there's nothing to be gained by having clearly terrible teams waste their time and take even a minor risk in this era. So. Now, for many of the conferences, it's not even like most or any of the member schools can be wagered on legally by the residents anyway. So it's not even a fig leaf of, well, we got to keep the gambling machine happy. That doesn't even work. So basically, get off my lawn, NCAA. And with that, until next time, gamble on.